Well, good morning to you. Great to be with you again this morning. Thanks so much for coming. What a great crowd at 8.30 in the morning. You guys are the early risers. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you're here at Olive Knowles. What a great place to be. If you're here for the first time, second time, or third time, after the third time, we consider you family, okay? Um, so if you've been here longer than three times, you are part of the Olive Knowles family. If you want to be part of the Olive Knowles family on the first time, we'll adopt you, okay? We'll just take you right in. So it's great to have you here today, and may the Lord bless you. It's been a, it's been a great week, and um, I pray that uh, God would continue to bless you. We're in Romans 8 today. On, on, um, on, on January 6, 1941, anybody was alive on January 6, 1941? Raise your hand if you were alive on that, that day. There's a couple of you, yep, about a while back. Um, President um, um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed Congress on the state of war in Europe. World War II was going on at that time, and much of what he said has been forgotten but there's a piece of that speech that was the address to Congress that still continues to live today. It is known as the freedom speech. He spoke about some freedoms that he believed that um, we as Americans uh, hold as a high value. And he also spoke that he believed and wanted that these freedoms would be all across the world today. And he spoke about four of them. They were known as the freedom speech. I'll remind you of what they were. Here were the four freedoms. The freedom of speech, the freedom of worship, the freedom of, from want, and freedom from fear. Those are pretty good freedoms, wouldn't you say? The freedoms that we have. And this morning we've been, we've been uh, singing about freedom and about the freedom that we have in God and the freedom we have in the Spirit of the Lord. And um, today I want to talk to you about Romans 8 because Romans 8 is a declaration of freedom. It's a declaration of freedom. Freedom in your life and freedom in my life that we can have through Jesus Christ our Lord. And uh, these are amazing freedoms. The Bible told, told us last week we ended the series, the service off by talking about what Paul said in chapter 7. He, remember he said, he talked about this, uh, this war that was going on inside of him. He says, you know, I want to do right, but wrong is right there. I want to go the right way. I want to do the right thing. But every time I come, sin kind of props up and I find myself giving into the things I, I shouldn't be giving into. I don't know why this is happening something is wrong inside of me and he declares at the end of chapter 7 he says this what a wretched man am I what a wretched man am I and I don't know about you but I have said that about myself at times I've looked back at my own life my own behavior my own attitudes my own my own decisions in life and I'm going what were you thinking Kevin what were you thinking what a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of sin and death? And that's what, that, that's what sin does to you. It brings death. And, G, and he responds and he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And that is good news, my friends. That is the greatest news of all. Because Jesus Christ breaks every chain, as you've been singing about. He breaks the power. He breaks the, he breaks the dominion of sin in your life. And he sets you free. 
You know, so many people read, sing those songs and they think about, they think the, the, the freedom that they're given is some freedom that is about, you know, you just expressing yourself the way you want to express yourself. Or, or maybe it's about freedom and worship about. But the real freedom that Jesus is talking about here is he breaks the power of sin in your life. He breaks it. And he gives you the power to live for him in powerful ways. John Wesley um, one, of my, one of my all-time favorite theologians, and um, we in the Church of the Nazarene, you find yourself in the Church of the Nazarene this morning. We are, we are from a tradition called the Wesleyan-Arminian tradition. In other words, our theological roots go all the way back to the Church of England, to, uh, to a guy by the name of John Wesley. His brother Charles Wesley was a great hymn writer. And um, John Wesley would preach so often, and he would always talk about what he called the order of salvation. In other words, what is the process of getting saved? What, is the, what, how, what does God do in your life? And what, what things happen first? What comes second? What comes third? What comes fourth in your life? And the Bible talks about all these things, but the Bible doesn't give us a nice little graph like this is, you know. But this is what John Wesley called the Ordo Salutis, which was Latin for, for the order of salvation. And, um, and today, as we look at Romans chapter 8, we are talking about a, actually in chapter 8, he talks about what is called sanctification and glorification. He talks about justification he talks about sanctification and he talks about glorification. And there's a process that happens in your life as you walk with the Lord. And so in Romans 8, he speaks about this idea of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And 20 times in this chapter, he talks about the Spirit. Now up to chapter 8, he has only used the Spirit two times. Two times he's talked about the Spirit. And it's sort of like in passing... But here in chapter 8, he begins to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Jesus says, I am going to go to the Father, and if I go to the Father, I'm going to send another one to be with you, the Counselor, the Comforter, the Parcelate. He is the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Jesus, before he was baptized, says, John says, I baptize you with water, but there is coming one who is coming after me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit falls on Jesus when he's baptized. And remember, like a dove, and it says that the, the, the word came, this is my son. In other words, he inaugurates, he begins his public ministry. And after Jesus dies and rises again from the dead, he tells the disciples, wait for the gift of my spirit that is going to come. That gift is going to do a work in you, not just for you, what I am going to do on the cross is what I am doing for you, but the Spirit is going to come and do something in you. And this is what Paul begins to address here in chapter 8. He specifically wants to talk about sanctification, about the transformation of the human life, the transformation of your life in Jesus Christ, and how he works in you to make you more and more like Jesus. <laughs> and that's why our theme verse for our entire worship series, for worship service this morning was 2 Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom, Paul says. And what kind of freedom that he wants to give you in your life. 
So let's take our Bibles. Let's read together Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 1 and read down through verse number 17. And today I want to give you four freedoms, just like there were four freedoms in the, in the, in the declaration of, uh, to Congress that Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave. Today I'm going to give you four freedoms that Paul declares here in the first 17 verses of Romans chapter 8 by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Stand with me. Let's read together. Starting at verse number 1. And reading down through verse number 17. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. This is the word of the Lord for you and for me. It is living and active. It is sharper than a double-edged sword. If you go to church, bring your Bibles with you. Right. If you go to math class, bring your math books. If you go to history class, bring your history books. But if you go to church, bring your Bible. Amen. If you don't got one, we'll get you one. Amen. We want you to have the word of the Lord uh, because it is powerful and it is speaking today to us. Verse 1 of chapter 8. Therefore, there's another therefore. Therefore, what's he saying there? Therefore, there was something before. What was before? What a wretched man am I? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. Now he's going to explain what that really means to us. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature, the nature desires. But those who live according to the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind of a sinful man is death. But the mind controlled by the spirit of life and is, is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the spirit. And if the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature. To live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. 
The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Thank you, Lord, for the reading of your word. Would you now illuminate our minds, speak to us, help us to hear you. Holy Spirit, come and speak. Use this uh, frail preacher, Lord, to speak and use the words that you have given me, Lord, to touch human hearts and change lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. Amen. That's good stuff. So, so we're going to talk about four essential freedoms today. And the first one I want to talk to you about is the freedom that from condemnation and sin. Freedom from condemnation and sin. The Bible tells us in the very beginning of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, he says this. And this is an awesome verse. By the way, this is my personal baptism verse. When I was baptized as a new believer in Jesus Christ, I was baptized in November in, in, um, in Massachusetts in a lake. Could I tell you it was cold, all right? It was, not, it was not one of those moments where I felt the spirit. I was just freezing, all right? And, uh, but I remember it clearly because I remember after going through the baptism class my church give, gave to all those new baptism candidates. I was about 16 years old at the time. I had just received Christ on Easter Sunday that same year. I, I, was, I was encouraged to find a baptism verse. And I found this verse and I said, therefore there is no condemnation. I want to tell you, that was good news to my ears. Amen. There is no condemnation. What does it mean to condemn somebody? It's to declare them guilty. It's to, for them to face the penalty of their choices. But the scripture says, therefore, there is no, none, zip, zippo, none. That once you have become a Christian, that you, for those who are in Christ Jesus... Doesn't say those who just sort of have an idea about Christ Jesus, but those who are in Christ Jesus, those who have put their faith in Christ, personal faith in Christ, have declared that Jesus is their Lord and their Savior. The scripture says there is absolutely no condemnation whatsoever. Amen. That's good news, my friends. You should be saying amen. No, I think you need a better amen. amen. Amen? That's good news. I'm telling you, that's really good news. Because without this, my friends, all of us stand condemned. Every one of us have violated God's laws. Every one of us have sinned against God. And every one of us deserve the penalty of sin, which is death. But God loved us so very much that he provided a way for us to be free and to have no condemnation in Jesus Christ. God declares guilty sinners in the right, that is, justified. And we've talked a lot about justification over the last few weeks. I mean, Paul has talked about this idea of being justified. Remember all the way back to our theme verse, where it says that the gospel has been revealed to us, a gospel of righteousness, that you can be righteous by faith from first to last, for the righteous will live by faith. 
And we talked about what that faith was as, as Paul looked at the example of Abraham. And he says, faith is when you believe what God said. Faith isn't just a feeling. Faith is a fact. Faith is something you put your faith in. You've put your faith in the person of Jesus. So it says, it says God declares guilty sinners in the right that is justified because by faith they share in the destiny of Christ rather than in the destiny of Adam. And you remember we talked about these two different categories. The first Adam, Adam, the first Adam represents all of humanity and all of us are declared guilty. We're all sinners by the virtue of being human. That if you want to put fault on the first Adam, put fault on yourself because you ultimately would have done the same thing Adam did in the garden that he did you would have done. You would have violated God's laws. You would have gone the wrong way. And because you are human, you are guilty. You have original sin in your life. In other words, you have a propensity to do wrong instead of right. You have a desire to please yourself. You have a desire to put yourself first. And that is a, but when you put your faith in Christ, you are putting your destiny in the second Adam, which is in Jesus. He is the one who has broken the veil of sin and declared you righteous in his eyes. And that's the good news that we have in Jesus Christ. He goes on to say this. Because, therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because, through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free. There's the freedom for you. From the law of sin and death. You exchange going from the old Adam to the new Adam to Jesus Christ and you put your faith in what Jesus Christ did for you by being a sin offering. The scripture says you are initially filled with the spirit of God in you. You get the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit that breaks inside of you the, the power of sin and you have a new force working in you. Remember, in the old life, your force is to please you. That's all you want to do is please you, please you, please you. What is sin? Sin is nothing more than an ego trip. Sin is nothing more than you trying to please you instead of God. When you break that power by putting your faith in Christ and you realize you're a sinner, the scripture says you have a new power that's inside of you. You actually have the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ, you are receiving the Holy Spirit inside of you. God is making himself known to you. And he's, he's living inside of you. So you have this law of the spirit of life. This word law is like, sometimes we get confused with these laws because he uses it in so many different contexts. You could also say that because through Jesus Christ, the influence of the Spirit set me free from the influence of sin and death. Okay? So it would be like a principle that's in your life. Because he goes on to say, for what the law, now he's talking about the Mosaic law that he was talking about in chapter 7. This law that says do not do this and do not do this and do not do this. All the Ten Commandments, the things you shouldn't do and the things you can do. The scripture says that law was powerless to do was weakened by the sinful nature. In other words, the, the law of God did not, and I'm not going to preach last week's message to you again, but let me just say it again. The law doesn't bring life. 
the law of God that was given to Moses did not bring life, it actually brought death. The more I was aware of what I shouldn't do, the more I did. It's like, it's like your mom or dad saying, don't touch the cookies. Don't touch the cookies until after dinner. But it smells so good. And what do you want to do? You want to go touch the cookies. And so you try to sneak a cookie off, you know. And, and you try to break the law because all of a sudden you know that you shouldn't. But all of a sudden because you know you shouldn't, you have a desire to do it. And that's what the law did to us. But what was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of the sinful man to be a sin offering for us. I want you to hear this. When you come to Christ and you are justified, you are declared righteous, you enter into a whole new way of living that begins the start of the movement of the Holy Spirit in you. Sanctification is what God does in you. Justification is what God did for you. Okay? What God did for you is he died on a cross for you. He took your penalty for you. He died in your place for you. He declared you righteous. He gave you a pardon, an eternal pardon for all you've done. That's what God did for you. Doesn't change the fact that still you're you got this problem inside of you that needs to be transformed. He begins the process of transforming you into the person you're supposed to be. When you get saved, that's the initial movement of the Holy Spirit or what we call the initial movement of sanctification. Justification is the whole work of Christ for us while sanctification is the whole work of Christ in us. Amen. And so what Paul is addressing here in chapter 8 is he says, he just didn't save you so you could stay the way you are. He didn't save you so that you could still be, still be the awful, rotten person you are. He saved you so that he could recreate inside of you the kind of person he, you were meant to be when he originally created human beings. He wants you to be like he meant you to be. And he's making that possible through Jesus and the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, Martin Luther, probably the key historical guy who discovered justification by faith. Remember, Martin Luther is a Catholic monk. He was a Catholic priest. He was the guy that was seeking after the Lord and seeking after the Lord. And, you know, they would say, okay, well, well, you know, if you feel bad about your sins, why don't you go and help the poor? Why don't you go and, and, and give to the needy? Why don't you go and serve? That, that, all, all these types of things. And he still felt this nagging guilt and shame in his life. He comes to the place where, where his mentor in a, in a monastery says to him, why don't you just go read the Bible? Well, that's a good thought. And he starts to read the book of Romans. And when he reads the book of Romans, he discovers that you are saved by faith through grace. And that is the gift of God, not anything you can do yourself. That was good news. And so, so the whole idea of... Um, of in the early Catholic Church where they would sell grace. In other words, you would go to the priest and you would confess your sins and they would say, okay, well, say 10 Hail Marys and do this and do that. And by the way, pay some money to the church and your sins are forgiven. They would sell grace. It was indulgences. And they built these great 
cathedrals. And it was Martin Luther who said, you know what? That practice in the church is wrong. It's wrong. And he nails the 99 theses. In other words, 99 things he wanted to bring reform to the Protestant church. I mean, to the Catholic church. He nails there and he is excommunicated from the Catholic church. And he starts a whole movement called Protestants. You know what a Protestant is? It's a protester. We are in a Protestant church. Originally, we were protesters against some of the practices of the Roman Catholic Church. And Martin Luther begins to write and he begins to discover this idea of justification by faith. But I want you to see what he says here. There is no justification without sanctification. Catch that. In other words, God just didn't pardon you and leave you. No forgiveness without renewal of life. No faith from which the fruits of new obedience do not grow. In other words, if you're here today and you think you're saved, but there's nothing going on within you, maybe you're not saved. Just let that sink in for a moment. Because to be saved means that there is a work inside of you that is started by God that begins the transformation process. You should start having a hunger for spiritual things. You should have a desire for, for righteousness. You should start, there should start a desire and a movement towards holiness and righteousness. And, and God, I want you to do a work of transformation in me. If you think you're saved, but you, you're just like, ah, man, you know, no big deal. I'm going to go live my own life. You're probably not saved. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Why? Because there is no justification without sanctification. The work of God that starts for what, by what he did for you also starts what he does in you. And this is what Paul is trying to address here in Romans chapter 8. There are really three stages of sanctification. And I'll define them for you. The first one we call initial sanctification. This is the work of God that starts the moment you get saved. The moment you're justified is the moment that there is the new birth, that all of a sudden you are born again, all of a sudden you have the spirit within you, and all of a sudden you are starting the process of becoming more and more like who you're supposed to be, Jesus. And that's why you find that there's this, and like he says in chapter 7, there's this all of a sudden there's this war going on. All of a sudden you got this, you got, you got the spirit in you, but you still got you in you. You still got the sinful nature in you. And you still got this, this kind of tug between righteousness and, and evil, between good and evil, between the old life and the new life. As somebody said to me coming in the church this morning, hey, pastor, the slumlord didn't show up this week. Well, guess what? The slumlord will keep showing up in your life until the day you die. And he'll continue to lie to you and try to drag you to the old life, the old way of living. But you don't have to go back, praise God. You don't have to live in it, praise God. 
that there is a sanctification. So that is the initial sanctification. Then there is what we in the Church of Nazarene, Wesley Arminians, talk about entire sanctification. That you can come to the place where you are fully and completely all God's. It's what Paul described in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. He said this, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Amen. What does the word sanctified mean? The word sanctified means to set apart. When you are set apart for God. In other words, God wants you to be totally, completely, entirely his. That's what he wants. He wants, he doesn't want to be second or third. He doesn't want a part of you. He wants all of you. And when you come to the place where you say, I am done with living a life of sin. I don't want to be a slave to it anymore. I don't want to walk in it anymore. I don't want to think it anymore. I want all of God. You consecrate yourself to him. You surrender yourself. And then God is the one who sanctifies you. He is the one. Notice it says, may God himself. It didn't say you sanctify you. This is a work of grace. Not a work of human effort. It's not something you can produce. Just like you can't save yourself, you can't change yourself. But you can come to the place where you say, Lord, sanctify me through you. And notice what he goes on. May your whole spirit, soul, body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the last verse. The one who calls you is what? He's faithful. And who will do it? He will do it. Amen. I remember clearly the day that I came to the place where I said, okay, God, I'm all in. I told you last week I was going to tell you the story. I was a new believer. I'd walked with the Lord for about a year and a half. But I, I, kept, I kept finding myself every time temptation came along to go against the known will of God, I find myself doing it. I had this, I had this, I had this, this con, con, constant tug of war. And in many ways, my life was more miserable after I came to Christ than it was before I came to Christ. Why? Because now that I knew Christ, I, I was more convicted by my behavior and my attitudes and my actions than I ever was before I came to Christ. Before I came to Christ, I was only trying to please me. But now that I had Christ in me, I realized, oh Lord, there's something wrong here. There's something deeper than my actions. And the Lord began to reveal to me, I want all of you, Kevin. And I said, well, you can have all of me. Well, what about this? And what about, well, you can have that and you can have that. Well, I don't know about that. And it came down to when I was a summer of 1983. I was, uh, I was, I had moved back to my biological family's home. I had left the foster home and I'd moved back home. And I was with my mom. And my mom, my mom and I, we went to uh, what is called a, a camp meeting. It was like family camp, but it was, we called a camp meeting. 
it was a tabernacle and there was a preacher and they would preach and and, and during that camp meeting, I, the preacher would preach and that, and at the end of the service, I would go to the altar and I would pray and pray and pray. And then I'd get up and the next day he'd preach and preach and I'd end up back at the altar the next night. And it was like, and I was like, what is going on, Lord? Do you want to do something in me? And finally, the Lord said to me, I want all of you. And I want all of you now. I want all of you, Kevin. When I was 15 years old, my foster father and I devised a plan for me to get my driver's license saying that I was 16 when I was really 15. So I was living a lie with my driver's license. And I thought to myself, well, you know, that's forgiven. That's in the past. Yeah, but the past is continuing to haunt me in the present. Because I'm walking around with a driver's license and I'd walk around for the rest of my life with two different birthdays. One on my birth certificate and one on my license. And the Lord said to me, I want you to repent of your, of your sin of lying about your license. I said, Lord, what do you want me to do? I want you to go and turn yourself in. And so that summer after one night at the, at the altar... I said to mom, I said, mom, would you take me to the Department of Motor Vehicles? And I went to the Department of Motor Vehicles. And I stood in line for a long time. And finally my number was called and I went up to the lady and I said, hi, my name is Kevin. And I handed her my license and I said, I'd like to turn myself in. I lied about my age and um, I, 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 this, this license is, is wrong. She said, what? I said, I lied about my age and this license is wrong. She goes, why are you doing this? Nobody would ever know. I said, well, God knows. She said, wait right here. And she went and got a police officer and they took me in the back room. True story. And they said, tell me the story of how you got this license. And I told them the story about how we had falsified documents and used documents that were not true to say that I was 16 when I was really 15. And by the way, 15-year-old driving is pretty cool. The girls all like you. But that day, they took my license and they said, the law in the state of Massachusetts was you'd have lost your license for five years. But that day, I walked out of the out of the. Department of Motor Vehicles and got in the car with my mother as a fully, completely sanctified, filled with the Spirit human being and felt like the weight of the world was just released off me. This represented my desire to please me. That's my story. Your story may be something different. But I believe with all my heart that usually in your walk with the Lord, it comes down to one or two issues. One or two areas that hold you back from going to a whole new level spiritually where you can sense the power of God in your life and you can have the power to say no to willful sin in your life. You have a desire to have all of him in your life. That is what being sanctified is all about. That does not mean you're perfect in the sense that your performance will always be there. But it does mean per perfect in the sense that your heart is all his. 
Your intentions are there. Your motives, your desire is I just want to serve the Lord. You love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You begin to love other people. You begin to love to serve him. You begin to, you begin to love to worship. You begin to love the things of God more than you love the things of the world. That's what happens to you. When you finally say, enough is enough, I'm all in, God. I'm all in. May God himself, may God himself sanctify you through and through. And he will do it, not you. And maybe today you're here and you've never heard that message before. You thought you'd just get saved and you just thought you'd just grow a little bit. And you wonder why you're so selfish all the time. And you wonder why you have no power in your life. Because you haven't yet come to the place to deal with the real issue. The issue is not just your acts of sin. The issue is the nature of sin in your life. He wants to break that power. That's what the chains are. The chains are not some human manifestation of some action. It's the principle of sin that he wants to break. And when you have that, you have freedom. All of a sudden, you have freedom. And God begins to work in you. There is also what is known as progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification starts at the new birth and ends when you die. Even after you're entirely sanctified, God continues to do a work of changing you more and more into the person of Christ. Here's what happens to you. I want you to describe this for you. Let's say, for example, you come to the place like I did where you say, okay, God, I'm all in. God sanctifies you completely. You have a heart that's bent towards him now. But there's still some character flaws in your life. There's still some attitudes. There's still areas of your life that you know that, that you have yet to be revealed to you that are more and more like Jesus. But now that you're walking with God and now that you're fully surrendered, you actually are cooperating with the Holy Spirit, not working against the Holy Spirit. There is actually movement and growth that happens in your life that helps you to go more and more like Jesus until the day you die because your spirit is one that is fully surrendered and all you want is his will. Amen? Amen? Yes. That's the good news. That's progressive sanctification. And so wherever you are, I want you to know most of all that God wants to sanctify you. And why? Because he's given us the freedom now to obey by the Spirit. The freedom you have through the Holy Spirit and through full surrender and sanctification is that you have the freedom to obey. Now look what Paul said. Look, look what he said. Look what he said. And so he condemned sin and sinful man. He said, you know what? You're done with that. In order, why, why did he do that? In order that you can be sanctified, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. The law, which prior to you getting saved, brought death. Now the Spirit of God is in you. It actually doesn't say that the law of God is irrelevant. It says now you have the power to meet what the law said you should have met before you had the Spirit. You can actually follow God and serve him. Who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. 
And he goes on. Notice what he says in verse number, number 12. He says, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. You know what an obligation is? An obligation is like a debt. Okay? In other words, you have an obligation. But he says, the obligation you have, the debt you have, is not to the sinful nature. To live according to it. In other words, God is saying to you, you are no longer obligated to sin. You don't have to. Why? Because you have transferred your ownership, your faith, from being about you to being about Christ. And Christ has done it for you. And now he's doing it in you by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit actually gives you the power to no longer give in to the ways of the world and the ways of sin. You're no longer obligated to do that. You know what you are obligated to do? You know what you are obligated to do? Look at what he says in chapter 13. He says this. Let no de debt remain. That's the word obligation right there. No debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. The sanctified life, my friends. The fully surrendered, sanctified, spirit-filled, no matter what you want to call it, I don't really care. But the life that he all wants all of us to have is a life where we love God with all of our heart and we love our fellow human beings. We are obligated to do that now. We're no longer obligated to live in selfishness, live in self-will, self-sovereignty, self-thinking. We are now living in a life that is full of love because who loves his fellow man has what? Fulfilled the law. How do you fulfill the law of God? By the Spirit of God working in you to live it out in love. Amen. That's why Jesus, when he, remember, he shrank the Ten Commandments down. He says, he said, what's the, when somebody said, what's the greatest commandments? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. It's called the greatest commandment. And guess what? It's possible on this side of eternity to love God with all your heart. You can do it through his spirit in you. So he says, for if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. I want you to hear this. This is so important. There is no life without death. And the death you have to experience is when you say to yourself, okay, God, I give up. The surrendered life, the crucified life, the life of real, genuine transformation happens not just at the moment you get saved, but later as you grow and you develop and you grow in Christ, that you come to the place where you realize, uh-oh, there's something deeper you want to do in me. God calls that being spirit-filled, entirely sanctified, full surrender. I don't care what you call it. I really don't. But the experience is what matters. And he wants to do that in you. you got to put it together. Here's the third freedom. Freedom to think a new mindset. To think a new mindset. 
Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what? What the nature desires. Right? You got your head now. Your heart's changed. You got the spirit of God in your life. You now got this new life you're walking. You fully surrendered to God. But now God has got to transform the brain, the mind. In chapter 12, by the way, he's going to talk about this more specifically. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the way, memorizing Scripture is a good thing. Amen? Renewing your mind. He says you have to think like a, you got to think like a spirit-filled person and not like an old person anymore. What is that person? He says, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. Now stop there for a moment. Can I ask you, just, just ask yourself this question. How often are you thinking about what you want instead of what God wants? How often is your mind all about you? And boy, the mind is a whole lot of, I mean, if it's all about what you're going to watch on television and what the next thing you're going to do to please yourself and the next thing you're going to do to serve yourself and the next thing you're going to do to, 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 to make yourself better, you do not have the mind of Christ. You've got the mind of yourself. Why? Because the mind of Christ is when you put your mind on the things of God. He says, set your mind on those things. So many believers, my friends, have yet to transform their heads, which gives them to the power to connect what's in their heart and their heads together with the Spirit of God. The mind of the sinful man is death. The mind of control by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. You say you're saved and you're still thinking like the devil and acting like the devil. I want to say to you again, maybe you're not saved. Now, I'm not the judge. Only God's the judge. Amen? But I would examine your heart because the scripture says if your mind is set on things that are not of God, you are actually hostile towards God. You don't see him as an asset. You see him as how can I get around what he wants me to do or live. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tells us a little bit about this mind of Christ. He says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated to the right hand. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Got to go quick here. But I'd give you three, three practical things here. I would say fill your mind with the word of God all the time. Amen. Ask God continuously for help. And third, practice the presence of the Lord. Amen. Practice the presence of the Lord. You got freedom from condemnation sin. You got freedom from to obey the law instead of freedom to just do what you want to do. God actually gives you the power to obey. And then you have freedom to set a new mind. The last one is freedom to live a new identity. The worship team is going to come now. But I, I want you to just catch this last verse. Here's what he says. This is so good. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are 
sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit, we are God's children. Now, if we are the children, then we are heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Three things I want you to see there real fast. I could preach a whole sermon on this. First of all, you're adopted as children. When you are justified, the new birth, you become a child of God. You're one of his kids. <laughs> you are accepted. You are loved. You are, you, are, you are part of his family. Amen? And it says... You have a heritage. You are part of God's family. You are part of the family of God that goes down through time, all the way back to the time of Abraham and all the way to today and into the future. You're part of his great heritage of Christians. And not only that, you have an inheritance. He says that you will share in his glory. Amen. You have an inheritance the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And you know what? One of the things you can, you can just look forward to, you're going to live forever. This body that dies as a result of sin will be resurrected. And Christ will come back and put an end to all of the sin and dominion of evil and you will share in his glory. Hallelujah. I'd say that's freedom today, amen? As we sing together, my prayer is that each and every one of you will come to the place where you'll do your part in the sanctifying process. Remember, he can't sanctify what you don't surrender, what you don't give up, what you don't submit. He can't change a life that is not surrendered to him. And maybe today here in church, as we sing this final song, you say, Abba, Father, you can have all of me today. You can have all of me. I surrender all to you. Do your work of freedom in my life. Stand with me, would you? Let's sing together. God, in these next just couple of moments, I pray, oh Lord, if there's any person here or online that needs to fully surrender and experience the fullness of the Spirit of God, the full salvation you give to us, the freedoms that you give to us, I pray that today, brothers and sisters, maybe people who have come to faith in Christ but have not yet surrendered completely, or maybe they've just kind of gone back to the old ways, Oh, God, that they would experience once again the work of the Holy Spirit in them, I pray in Jesus' name.